0: get nothing else this morning from anything that occurs here, from anything that, that I say or anything that has already occurred, but you get that one message and that one desire to have Jesus, then you'll get the most important thing. See, whether you believe in Jesus or not is the spiritual continental divide as to where you will spend eternity. Whether you have Jesus or not will determine whether you have fulfillment in your life and whether you're living for a purpose or whether you're just hanging on and going through the motions of life. It is all about Jesus. Well, it's good to look out this morning and I've had an opportunity to interact with some of you and to make some new acquaintances here and also to see some old Friends. Now, when I say that, I mean your old friends in that we've known each other for a long time, but also old friends because we are getting old. Let's be honest about it. Now, there's only one person that I met here this morning, and I normally don't point somebody out in the the congregation because I don't like to embarrass people, but I'm not going to worry about that with this person. Uh, I was surprised this morning to see uh, a co-worker from years ago here, and he is the only person that looks the same now as he looked 30 years ago, and that's our former uh, worship pastor that I worked with, Mark Miracle, who's there in the back. But, of course, 30 years ago, they were offering Mark uh, Senior's discounts when he went into the restaurants. (laughs) It was that gray hair, and you look the same, Mark, after all of these years. I have to say that within the last month, I was taken back twice. This happened like two days in a row where I was at a place, and they had a Senior discount, and I asked for it, and they said, we've already given it to you. (laughs) It kind of made me realize that things are changing, but it's a privilege for me to be with you this morning, uh, to have the opportunity to minister here. I'm so excited about what I see happening. Here, I'm so excited about your, your elders and the path that they are on in this difficult time, and I am praying for the future of this church, and I am excited about the future of this church for what God has in store here at Mission View. God had you planted here for a purpose. He has a good purpose for you. You are fulfilling that purpose, and God has great days ahead for this ministry, and I'm totally confident of that. So I'm glad to be with you to continue on with your series this morning in the book of Joshua. This morning we're coming to Joshua chapter 2. So I would encourage you to have a copy of the scriptures in front of you, your Bible, your phone, uh, uh, whatever you may be using. But have a copy of the Bible with you and go to Joshua chapter 2. And this morning I've asked Sarah Mass to come and to read Joshua chapter 2 for us. So if you would read that for us this morning.
1: And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land." But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear." Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it.
0: let's pray together father we thank you for your word that you have given to us and we pray now Lord that we might receive it and receive instruction from you we pray that you would guide and direct us in Jesus name amen well in the words of that great American theologian Yogi Berra it's deja vu all over again and here's what we find. The people of Israel have been at this position before. It was 40 years earlier. They were at this exact same spot. Uh, the story is told in Numbers chapters 13 and chapter 14 of what occurred the first time they had come to the Promised Land. At that point, Moses following the instructions of the Lord had chosen had each of the tribes choose a man choose a chief from their tribes to serve as a spy to go out and look over this land that God had promised to give to them the 12 spies came back and they reported to Moses they reported to Aaron and they reported to all the people and this was their report It is a good land. It is flowing with milk and honey. As they came back from the land, they brought some of the fruit of the land with them. And the passage tells us that the crops of the land were so great and so bountiful that it took two men to carry on a pole one cluster of grapes. Now, I've always imagined that since I was a little child. How big those grapes had to be for two men to carry one cluster of grapes. And they come back with a glowing report of the land. But then there was a division among the spies. There were ten on one side and two on the other side. The ten, and I could ask this morning, who can name any of the ten For us of the slaves. You can name all 10 of them? You can name? Okay. Who can you name? No, not the tribes. The men that went to spy out the land. Joshua Joshua and Caleb were the two, but can anyone give me the name of the 10? We don't remember their names. We don't know their names. Because the ten came back, and what did they say? They said, yes, the land is wonderful, it's great, it's super, but there are in the land people that are stronger than us. The sons of Anak live in that land. They are Nephilim. Now, the word Nephilim means they have almost superpowers, powers. And they are huge. Uh, a, an example of a modern-day nephilim might be someone like Shaquille O'Neal, who plays in the, who used to play in the NBA. He's huge. He's powerful. The ten spies came back and said they have warriors that are nephilim. They're the sons. They're the sons of Anak. they are giants in this land. Their cities are fortified. And the land devours people. We can't go there. We can't take that land. That was the report of the ten. Over against that, we had the report of the two. And most of us, if we've grown up in Sunday school or been in church, we know the name of the two. They were Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb said, It's a good land. And if God is with us, We'll take this land. Sure, the people are big. Sure, their cities are fortified. But they're not bigger than our God. We do not need to fear the people. Well, there was a discussion that took place, and the people of Israel refused to go in to the land. We come to the present that's recorded for us here in Joshua chapter 2. It is 40 years later. See, when the spies originally went out into the land, they spent 40 days spying out the land. Because they refused to obey God and go into the land, God said, For each day you spied out the land, you will spend a year wandering around in the wilderness until every male that was 20 years old or older has died. So, as we come to this point of them, of of what we find here in Joshua chapter 2. In the nation of Israel, there would be no males over 60 years old. Because of their disobedience to the Lord, because of their unwillingness to go into the land, they have all died off with the exception of two, Joshua and Caleb. Now, the ten spies... They had died pretty quickly after they had refused to go into the land. The ones that brought back the negative report, God had sent a plague upon them, and they had died. Now as we come to Joshua chapter 2, we see things happening a little different this time. Notice Joshua is sending out two spies to report back to him not 12. And I want us to see some things throughout the passage about these spies and about what they say and what we see from them. Joshua 2 verse 1, Joshua the son of Nun sent two spies secretly So this time, instead of the spies going out publicly with everybody knowing they're going out, Joshua decides, we're not going to do things the same way we did last time. That didn't work real well. Now, before we're critical of Moses and what he did, Moses was following what the Lord told him to do. So it wasn't poor leadership on the part of Moses. But... Joshua is looking at what occurred before, and this time he's going to do it differently in that he sends the spies out secretly. You know, sometimes we get caught up on methodologies. And we think we always have to do things the same way. And even when things have failed in the past, especially in churches, we get locked in to always doing things the same way, whether it works now or it doesn't work now anymore. Sometimes there are methodologies of the past that were great in the past, but they don't work today. And we as Christians... Need to learn, we need to follow the instructions of the Lord. And God doesn't change, but God, as He works with us and directs us, at times directs us to do things differently. And I'm sure there are those that could come and say, Well, you know, Joshua, when they find out that He sent these spies out quietly, secretly, that's not the way the leadership did it in the past. Why are you doing it this way? But we're going to see that the methodology that Joshua used ends up being very successful for this nation. So he sends them out secretly, and he tells them in verse 1, go view the land, especially Jericho. Concentrate on Jericho, because Joshua knows that Jericho is going to be the first major battle that they are going to face as they come into the land. So he wants to learn all he can about Jericho. Jump on down with me to verse 14. The two spies go into the land, and they come to Rahab the harlot. And we'll talk about her in just a moment. But in verse 14, we read, And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Notice, first of all, the confidence of these two spies. Did you hear what they said? When the Lord gives us the land. They don't say, if the Lord gives us the land. They have learned a lesson over the last 40 years that you need to trust God. And when God tells you to do something, you need to obey him. So they are confident that this land is going to be theirs. And also they say to her, when we come into this land, if you keep up the bargain that you've made with us, we will deal with you kindly and faithfully. You know, that's how we should always deal with one another. We need to be kind with one another. You know, we're told in the scriptures that we're to prefer one another as better than ourselves. We are to deal faithfully with one another. We are told our yes should be yes, and our no should be no. People should know us as Christians, as people who keep their word, and people who are kind with others. We see their confidence repeated down in verse 18. Behold, when we come into the land. And then jump down to verse 23. It says, then the two men return." They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. Notice what Joshua has set up. He's set up for the spies to come back and report to him. They're not reporting, giving their report to the whole nation initially. They are reporting back to Joshua. So that Joshua is able to make sure that the message they're going to give is going to be a message that has confidence in God. And they told Joshua all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, "Just notice this very carefully, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also, all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Now isn't that quite a turn of events? Forty years earlier, the people will not go into the land because they're afraid of the people that are in the land. Now, forty years later, the spies come back and say, they're scared to death of us. What a change has occurred during those 40 years. All right, let's also look at Rahab in the passage. The first thing that we see about Rahab in verse 1 is that when the men came into Jericho, they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. You know, sometimes the scriptures get a little messy for us, don't they? We have those commentators that have come to this passage, and they said, we need to change that word prostitute, and we need to say that Rahab was an innkeeper. Doesn't that sound much better? The innkeeper Rahab, as opposed to the prostitute Rahab. There's only one problem with that. The problem is this. The word that is used here means only one thing. You know what it means? It means prostitute. This woman was a prostitute. She is running a house of ill repute there in Jericho. Now, we can ask, why are the spies there? There's no indication in the scriptures that the spies did anything immoral there in Rahab's house. But if you were hiding out as a spy, this would probably be a good place to go. They're going to be searching all over the city for these two men. Also, it's interesting that we see how our God works. Our God doesn't come to just those who have already tried to clean themselves up and have tried to make sure that everything is in order. Our God goes to any who are willing to follow after Him and seek Him. And He does the cleansing work, as we will see in the life of Rahab. Jump down with me to verse 11. It says, Rahab is speaking. And she says, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God... He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Who's saying these words? These are the words that are coming from a prostitute. We know, and I think it is her statement of faith here. I have recognized that the God you serve He is the true God. We've heard the stories of what your God has done. We heard, and it's interesting to me, she will talk about that they heard about back in Egypt how the Red Sea was dried up and the children of Israel were able to go over it in dry ground. What's interesting about that to me is this. That had occurred 40 years before. The fear that is in these people of the God of Israel, was there 40 years earlier. They were just as afraid of Israel as Israel was afraid of them. Because the people were afraid of a God who could divide the Red Sea. The people were afraid of the God who could work the wonders that God worked in Egypt. You know, think of that. The ten plagues that occurred in Egypt. Each of those plagues attacked a god of the Egyptians. Each of those plagues was really a statement by God of saying, I'm going to put it in uh, a more current vernacular, of God making the statement, I can kick your gods' butts. They are not powerful enough to deal with me. Matter of fact, they are not powerful at all. And the people of the land are aware of that. And Rahab the harlot makes the statement. He is the true God. We recognize that. And I recognize that. And her actions of hiding the spies shows that she has put a faith and trust in this God. Now, let's go on the rabbit trail you're all wondering about. Whenever this passage is preached, this is the question that comes to everybody's mind. Did Rahab do the right thing in lying? Well, I don't know. I know that there are some... Bible scholar says, well, what Rahab should have said was, are the men here? Yeah, they're upstairs. I hid them underneath the flax there. Go ahead and get them. There are others that say, and I tend to agree with them, without justifying the words of Rahab, it was the heart of Rahab and her seeking to do that which is right that God has rewarded here. See, don't use this as a license for you to say, well, I can lie whenever I want to as long as the end turns out for good. That is not what the passage is telling us. The Bible doesn't give us any commentary on whether Rahab was right in lying or not, but the Bible does give us a commentary in the book of Hebrews that Rahab operated by faith and she was trusting God. You know, I'm glad that in God we have someone who loves us and someone who is looking at our hearts and looking at our hearts' intents. Have you ever done something and you did it for the right reasons, but people criticize you for what you have done? I think if we're fair, we shouldn't be real critical of Rahab here. I think we should recognize the biblical account is telling us what she did. God is a God of truth. God never encourages us to lie. And God always gives us a way to get around lying if we will seek for that way. So don't use the experience of Rahab to justify lying to someone. But let's recognize she is probably very very new in her faith in this god of israel and she is doing what she thinks to be the best thing here and god is going to reward that faith that she has let's jump down to verse 18. the spies say behold we when we come into the land you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And over in verse 21, we see that when they departed, she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So Rahab, in faith, ties that scarlet cord. And as long as her family members stay inside her house, the spies promise nothing bad will happen to you. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. The next thing that I want us to consider this morning are the principles. The principles that we can draw from this passage that will help each of us. These are principles for living our lives and living them in a victorious fashion. Principle number one, recognize the problem recognize the problem for the spies and for the nation of Israel they have a challenge before this will they obey god and go in to this land for rahab she has a challenge before she is, is she going to be a follower of the true God of Israel? Which is going to necessitate some changes taking place in her life. That is implied in the passage, and her future will tell us that changes did take place in her life. But let me ask you this morning, what is your challenge? What is before you right now? Are there decisions that you need to make? Are there obstacles before you that they are paralyzing you? Or they are causing you not to walk in faith and trust God? The first step in us being able to live lives that are victorious is to recognize the problem. The Scriptures speak about that in other places. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus said this, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms." of peace. Recognize your problem. Recognize if you have a foe, who the foe is. In Ephesians chapter 6, 11 and 12, we are told as Christians to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And the Apostle Paul encourages us in Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices. See, we don't go out to war without recognizing who we're going to war with. We don't start building something without counting the cost. Or else everyone's going to say, yeah, they started to build. We have a perfect example of that in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. We have an unfinished tower that I'm told is a wonderful lightning rod. That whenever there's a storm, you can see all the lightning hitting it. But that's not what it was built for. But someone didn't count the cost. Now the nation of Israel, 40 years earlier, looked at the problem that was before them, and they came to the decision, oh, we can't win this. We're afraid of the people. So they refused to do what God asked them to do. Here we have two spies that go into the land and come back to Joshua, and they say, let's go take this land. God has given it to us. The people are afraid of this. Which brings us to the second principle here, which is this. Focus on God, not the problem. See, the real question here with Israel in their present and in their past is whether they believe God is big enough to help them with the obstacle that's before them. How big is our God? We had 10 spies 40 years earlier that all they could see was the problem. And two spies, Joshua and Caleb, that they saw a God that was big enough to overcome the problem. Focus on God, not the problem. Our God is the omnipotent God who can do anything, who has all power. That's what causes Paul to write in Romans 8 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's why Paul wrote in 2nd Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, for God gave us a spirit Not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I've had the, the privilege of sitting down with Steve and talking with your pastor. And as we pray for him and as we love him, he does not have a spirit of fear. He is trusting God. His focus is on God, not the problem that is before him. How big is our God? And Philippians 4.19 tells us this. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. See, whatever your obstacle is today, whatever your problem is, whatever it is that you're wrestling with, whatever that issue is, God has enough riches to give to you what you need to overcome and to live a victorious life. Focus on God, not your problem. And then there's a third principle that I want us to see, and that is this principle. Obedience is always the key. Obedience is always the key. If I could narrow down our Christian walk, our Christian experience, if I could bring it down to the very simplest principle, it is this principle. Obedience is what God is looking for. Forty years earlier, a nation stands ready to go in to a land that God has promised to give to them. And God has commanded them to go and take the land. But what do they say? Nope, they're focused on the problem. And they said the problem is bigger than our God. Nothing is bigger than our God. Obedience. Because they refused to go into the land, a whole generation dies off. With the exception of Caleb and the exception of Joshua. Why? Because they chose not to obey God. Obedience is a thread that is woven all throughout the Scriptures. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, in verse 22, Samuel is addressing King Saul, who did not obey God. And Samuel said to him, Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams in the commission that God has given to his church Matthew chapter 28 in verses 19 and 20 Jesus said this go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age did you notice anything missing in that verse Look at it carefully. Is there something missing there? Bring up the next slide. There are two key words that I had edited out. The two key words are teaching them to observe. See, our following the Lord isn't about how much we know up here. It's about how much we put in practice in following Him. See, as the key to discipleship is not just increasing knowledge. Yes, we need to increase in knowledge, but that's not what is most important. What's most important is, what are we doing with the knowledge we already have? Jesus told us that we need to go throughout all the world teaching them about Him. And that people need to be baptized to follow him as a picture of their salvation and we are teaching to teach them to observe or to obey all things so the keys to living victoriously for us is we need to recognize the problem we need to focus on God not the problem And then we need to obey. I can't leave this passage without making some concluding remarks about an element that we find here. And that's the element of the scarlet cord. In verse 18, we're told, When we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And at the end of verse 21, we're told, And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. You know, everything in the Bible is important. Why was it a scarlet cord? Why not another color? Why scarlet? Well, most believe... Who have looked at this and studied it? That in that scarlet cord, we have a prefiguring of the safety and deliverance that comes through something else that was scarlet the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as that scarlet cord provided protection for Rahab and provided deliverance. For Rahab, the blood of Jesus Christ provides deliverance for all who will put their faith and trust in him. You know, we learn of Rahab later in the scriptures. We find her a couple other places, and we find her twice in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 1, we find her there. She is in the lineage of Jesus one of the few women that are mentioned in the line of the Messiah, she is mentioned there. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 31, and those of you that know the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, some refer to that as God's hall of fame, God's faithful hall of fame. And Rahab is mentioned in that chapter She believed. She trusted in God. And oh, what a difference it made. This morning, if you're here, and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is salvation in him and in him alone. He died, shed his blood on the cross to provide a way for you to be saved. Don't miss that message. May we each of us live our lives trusting in God and through doing that have the deliverance and be able to live lives that are victorious and pleasing to our God. Let's pray together. Father we thank you for your word We thank you for its clarity, Lord. And I would pray, Father, that you would help each and every one of us that we might focus on you. Oh, what a great God you are. What a good God you are. Thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you that we can read stories of your faithfulness in the past and know that we can trust you And know that you will deliver us, and you will guide us. We love you, Father. And we ask, Father, that you would help each of us to follow after you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.